Hey, what's up, Nashville Baptist Church family? Listen, if you are seeing this, then unfortunately we, we had to cancel our services for this weekend because of the snowstorm that's blowing through. Uh, we wanted to try to meet together. We always want to try to meet together, but right now it's just unsafe to travel. Uh, and so we needed to shut down our services and we're posting this video uh, to go along with that service cancellation. So listen, um, it's always good to gather with God's church. Uh, God has created the church to be just something other and different and special that can't, really re can't be replicated any other place. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it was just a bad idea to be traveling today. And so uh, we want to use God's gift of technology in a redemptive way today uh, by uh, posting this video. Uh, so I, it's actually Friday afternoon for me. We're recording this a couple of days earlier because we saw this coming. Uh, but listen, we, we want to open up God's word together with you. And that's that's what we value around here. And so uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Um, so all this year long, we've been walking through a series that we've been calling the story of God. And the premise for that series is really, really simple. We believe that the entire Bible is about Jesus. Full stop. Like no matter where you turn in the Bible, it's going to be about Jesus. He's both the active agent and the star of the show. And so uh, all year long in 2018, we started this the week after Easter. We've been going all around since then. Uh, and, and so we've been building this series as the greatest action adventure drama the world will ever know. And if you really think about it, it that's true. Right? It's, it's an incredible story. And, and to, to flesh that thought out, we've been taking a slow walk through the, the lives of the major characters of the Old Testament and asking the question, how does their story tell us about the much larger and much more beautiful story of God? And, and we've seen war and we've seen backstabbing. We've seen miracles. We've seen a dude kill a thousand other dudes with a donkey's jawbone. Like the Old Testament is not a slow read. And so greatest action adventure drama the world will ever know is, is quite a fitting descriptor. And, and so our artwork that Garrett made for us looks like a movie poster. And so we've been kind of playing into this movie thing. Uh, but listen, the Old Testament isn't the entirety of the Bible. It's a major chunk of the Bible. It's the biggest part of the Bible, but it's not all of the Bible. So what do we do with the New Testament? Well, after we came back from New Year's stuff, uh, we kicked our series back off again, this time looking at the New Testament. But instead of taking a long time to do a bunch of character studies, we're instead shifting gears a little bit. And so uh, what we've done now is started to build this great story as a chick flick. See, it turns out that the New Testament is actually a chick flick, not, not because it's got a sappy love story or because it's got British actors with better hair than me or anything like that, but because it ends the same way every chick flick ever ends, with a wedding and a happily ever after. And so we picked up our series to, to kind of flesh out this idea that, that, that I think exists in our heart for a reason. Like, like there's a reason why all these stories tend to resonate with us. I think it's because God has put those stories in our heart on purpose. I think he's using them as shadows and, and as, as allusions to the great story that has an eternal happily ever after. And I think every good writer sees those kinds of things in our hearts and taps into them. And I think that's why those stories are so prevalent in our culture. But uh, we've been walking through this series and... We kicked things off last week by introducing the concept of the Jewish betrothal wedding process, for lack of a better term. And we, and we talked about how there are four stages because like how else would you frame a chick flick, right? You're, you need to talk about a wedding and set the stage for a wedding. And it's, it's my belief, it's my belief that if we understand how a wedding would work to the mind of Jesus and to the mind of his contemporaries, those who were in the first century church with him, that will understand the New Testament a whole lot better. 
Now, don't, don't mishear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. This is by no means the only lens that we need to look through the, the New Testament. We, we look through all these other lenses all the other time. Things, ideas of redemption and ideas of sacrifice and ideas of other stuff. Um, but it's my opinion that if we understand how a first century Jewish wedding works, we will understand the New Testament a whole heck of a lot better. In fact, it may even protect us from misapplying some texts that in evangelical culture often gets a little weird for lack of a better word. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, the word wedding, quote unquote, just wedding, is too weak of a word for us to, to really make sense of things here in our culture in the West. Because when we think of a wedding, what do we think of? We think of a singular event, a, a ceremony where a guy and a girl stand in front of a crowd of people and everybody's gathered together and all their friends are ooing and aahing at the spectacle of it all. And, and, but nothing is official in that event until the vows are made and they are pronounced husband and wife. And everybody claps and applauds and we throw a big party, but now they're finally married. Doesn't matter what happened long before that singular moment. Doesn't happen, doesn't matter how, what played into that singular event, as long as that singular event happens, well, then they're married. The problem with that, though, is that that's not how most of the world views a wedding, and it's certainly not how a wedding was viewed in the first century Near East. The process for uniting two people together in matrimony, two people together as husband and wife, was a much much longer deal in their culture. In fact, it could actually stretch on for more than a year in their culture. It wasn't a singular event. It was a, a process of events that was official from beginning to end. And they, they look like this. We introduced these last week. The ketubah or the writing, the preparation, the invitation, and the consummation. All right? And so we introduced this idea uh, last week that, that to the first century Jewish mind, the marriage was official from beginning to end. It would take several months to fulfill from point A to, to point B. It would take several months to fulfill, but it was official. They were hitched. And, and we explained last week that this is the reason why Mary travels with Joseph to Bethlehem during the Christmas narrative. They've, they've got to travel together in order to be registered for the census, you remember? And, and it's because in the eyes of Rome, they're married. But in the eyes of their friends and family, in the eyes of their own culture, the, the deal hasn't been completed yet. So they're together, but not, quote unquote, together, right? Now, we didn't talk about this last week, but listen, I'm also of the belief, also of the belief that this is the reason why Joseph didn't immediately walk out the door when he heard the news that he wasn't the father of this kid, Right? Like Matthew, uh, what is it? Matthew 21, I think. Yeah, or no, Matthew 1, excuse me. Ooh, Matthew 1. Instead of Joseph just blowing up and running out the door, instead of him saying, give me my ring back and I'm out of here. No, it, the Matthew 1 tells us that he, quote, uh, decides to divorce her quietly. He wants to protect her from shame. He wants to protect her from all kinds of things. And so he, he resolves to divorce her quietly. And Matthew uses the word divorce there for a very specific reason. It's because he's actually got to divorce her. He can't just walk out the door. He's not just saying, I'm done with you. I'm gone. No, he's got to officially go through the process of divorce. And it slows this whole deal down. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 1 that it's while he's thinking about these things that the angel comes and visits him in a dream in the night. And it, he explains to him that, no, God's really behind this. You're okay. And Joseph changes his mind. And because this deal was stretched out, because he had to go through the official process, well, he couldn't just blow things off and, and walk out the door. 
Mary was protected here. So when you start talking about uh, all of the stuff that gets wrapped into the fullness of time that Galatians tells us about, all the things that, that get wrapped up into why Jesus came exactly and, and how Jesus came, well, a year-long marriage process is actually a part of the story because Mary simultaneously is a virgin and has the protection of a husband in that culture. I th you think God did that on purpose? I'm pretty sure God did that on purpose. Mary is cared for. And so I promise you guys, the Bible is way, way bigger and way deeper than what we tend to usually see on the surface. The ketubah, the preparation, the invitation, and the consummation. And so last week we talked about this idea of the ketubah. All right, and so what do we say about that? Well, the ketubah, it would begin with the bridegroom leaving his father's house and going to the home of the one he was pursuing. He would sit down with his potential bride and her family and write a covenant, a terms of agreement for both parties, along with an agreed-upon bridal price to be paid by him. If the bride and her family agreed to the terms, the covenant would be sealed with the act of drinking a cup of wine, and the bridegroom would then go to secure the payment for the right to marry his betrothed. And so we said last week that this is exactly what Jesus does for his bride, the church. It's exactly what he does. Jesus left his father's house and he came to the home that he wanted to be his. He, he, he brought to terms what was necessary to secure that bride on his own and he paid the price in full by dying on the cross. He died willingly. He died joyfully. He died resolutely the price to pay the price in full. Jesus owned it. He didn't leave the culmination of his great redemption story to be done by proxy. No, 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 no. That would not do. Jesus came himself to bring his story to its final crescendo. Okay, so what happens next? What comes after the ketubah? Well, week two, the preparation. Oh, well, that's a less fancy word. What is that all about? Well, at this point in the first century Jewish betrothal wedding process, the bridegroom and the bride separate for an extended period of time, possibly even a year, to prepare in their own ways for the final act of the wedding. So the bride and the bridegroom each go off their separate ways to get ready for the final act of this betrothal period. The bridegroom prepares their future home and the bride sanctifies herself. Awesome. So what do we do with that? Well, let's take them one at a time. Join me in John chapter 4. We'll handle the bridegroom first. Jesus in John 14 is the one speaking here and he says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Okay, so these words are being spoken in a very specific context. John 14 plays out in the upper room, right? During the the Lord's Supper that Jesus celebrates with his disciples. John gives us significantly more about that moment, about the the upper room uh, narrative and all that timeline. John gives us significantly more than the other three gospel writers do. They give us bits and pieces. John gives us the meat, though, all right? Uh, It's John where we learn about the foot washing. It's John where we learn about the true vine discourse. John is the one who tells us about the high priestly prayer and here in John 14 he tells us about uh, he, he walks through something that's incredibly unique to him too he, uh, it's a passage of scripture that I think is probably really dear to a lot of y'all and probably is committed to memory for a lot of you too Jesus says that he is the way the truth and the life he claims to be the only pathway to the father he claims exclusivity when it comes to salvation And that is a massive thing to lock down when it comes to understanding the Christian faith. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he and only he is the way to gain eternal life. He's the only way to get access to the Father. He's the only way into the kingdom. He's the only way into the family of God. And either A, he's right, or B, he's a liar. Like, which option should we go with there? Either Jesus is right about that claim, and he is, in fact, the only way, or B, we shouldn't trust Jesus for anything. So which should we go with? Well, I I personally think that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, and I, I hope you do too. Jesus' claim to exclusivity is serious, and it matters immensely, but there was a comment that came before that exclusivity claim that set up the entire conversation. Do you remember what it was? It was found in verse 2. It says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, there have been times in the course of Christian history where these two sentences have... I think been taken out of context. Uh, they, they, they've been used in such a way that would, that would try to argue for Jesus promising us some massive reward in heaven. And it's further complicated by the fact that the, that the King James version of the Bible translates rooms as mansions. In my father's house are many mansions is the way the King James reads. Um, but the Greek word there is the word mane. It, it just means dwelling place or abode. Right? Uh, there's, there's, there's no uh, intent to say that's uh, a big house or a little house. It's, there's no intent on that. It just means the, the dwelling place. And so how the, the translators of the King James got to this elaborate, amazing mansion is just lost on me. I, 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 don't, I don't know how they landed there. All right. You might wish that to be true, but it's not actually in the text, according to what we see. So what do we do with it? Well, it is true that God promises rewards for his people. That's all throughout the Bible. I mean, Jesus himself said, chase after treasures in heaven, accumulate for yourself treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal, right? I mean, so Jesus himself promises rewards, but that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here at all. This text has absolutely nothing to do with what you will be rewarded with in heaven. Jesus isn't talking about rewards rewards right now. He's talking about exclusivity of salvation, right? And so what is this about? Well, he's talking about the exclusive pathway into eternal life in the family of God. And if you remember last week, we discovered then that Jesus is using marriage-themed language here when he doesn't have to. 
All throughout this upper room timeline, Jesus is dropping these little marriage-themed sound bites that he doesn't have to use in order to get his point across. And so the question we asked last week is the question that we need to ask this week. Do you think Jesus is doing this by accident? No, he's he's doing it on purpose. He's using this marriage-themed language on purpose. And so, yes, and so in this culture, at this point in history, most people didn't own their own homes. The the patriarch did. Instead of a, a, a young man moving out and getting his own place, meeting a girl, getting married, and then getting a place together, and yes, that is the order of how things should operate, but instead of that being the, the pathway to success, the son literally built a room onto his father's house that would become the new home for he and his wife. They lived commune style. It, it, there wasn't this Americanized dream of, I'm going to finally go out on my own and build my own place or purchase my own place. No, he built a room onto his father's house. You see this all throughout the Bible and it's still existing in Jesus's day. And so as the family would get bigger and bigger, more and more rooms would be added to the home. And this is one of the reasons why the inheritance for the eldest son was such a big deal. It's not simply because he got the larger percentage of dad's assets. Like That's not not important, but it's not the big thing that's going on. It's because he would become the patriarch of the family and get everything. Like That's the reason why the inheritance was such a big deal in the, in the time period of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. And so uh, it's about becoming the patriarch of the family and, and gaining the entire house that everybody else is living in. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, huh, well, I never put those pieces together. Well, I can actually do you one better because it would not be until the son finished the job and his father signed off on its completion that the son could return for his bride. As soon as dad goes, okay, that's good enough. Go get your girl. The son was allowed to go get his girl. That's how the system worked. And this is why Jesus can legitimately say in Matthew 24 that he doesn't know the day or the hour of his return. It's not because he's not omniscient. It's not because he doesn't know all. It's because it's not his call. It's not Jesus's call. He's the obedient son waiting patiently on the father's approval. And as soon as the father says, okay, that's good. Go get your girl. He returns to go get his girl. That's what this is about. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I've told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Don't you dare make this about some reward that you're going to get because you did something good. This is about being with Jesus and being with him forever. This is about Jesus promising to bring us home. But it's also half the equation because the bride is spending this whole time getting ready too. So what's the bride up to these days? Well, she's spending this time sanctifying herself. The word sanctify is uh, got the same Greek root as the word holy. We use it interchangeably in a lot of ways, but it just means to set apart for a special purpose. Right? And so holy is a word that we would often use for something that has, that has been set apart for a special purpose. And to be sanctified is usually the word that we would use if we were wanting to say that something is in the process of being set apart for a, a special purpose. But that's what it means. Now, most often we use those terms when we're talking about sin, but it doesn't have to be about sin. We can talk about anything that we're setting apart as special. Well, in the case of Jesus and his bride, both meanings of the word are actually in play here. And we can see that most clearly, most clearly, uh, 
when it comes to a text that we looked at last week, Ephesians chapter 5. So turn there real quick. Ephesians chapter 5. We said last week that, that Paul's main emphasis here is to teach that, that marriage is designed by God to be a picture of something much bigger and much more eternal. That, that there's all these other really great things that are folded into the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. There's, there's all these beautiful, wonderful, spectacular things that God created marriage to do and to, to be, but it's purpose. The thing it was designed First and foremost, to be and do is to be a shadow of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. That the reason God created marriage was to teach us about something far bigger and far more eternal. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we read this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. There's our word, right? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. So during this part of the Jewish betrothal wedding process. The bride, it, it's believed, would begin to wear a veil in public. Signifying that she was off the market. Kind of like how we, we use a, an engagement ring today, right? And she would also begin to just pamper herself with special baths and perfumes in order to prepare her body for marriage. Not because she was dirty or anything, but because she wanted to give a gift to her husband. And that was a gift that she could give. She wanted to prepare herself and, and clean her body in such a way and prepare her body in such a way that it would be without blemish for her new husband. It was the gift that she could give. But here's what's special about the cleansing that happens for Jesus's bride. What, who, does, who do we see doing the sanctifying and cleansing in this case? Well, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or. Yeah. So who's the one that's cleansing here? When it comes to Jesus's bride, Jesus is the one who cleanses. Jesus is the one who prepares. Jesus is the one who gets us ready for relationship with him. This is the gospel, right? This is what the gospel is. We are, we are absolutely incapable of cleaning ourselves up in any way that would be worthy of him and his presence. And yet, he does it for us. He's the one that fixes the problem. Jesus is the one that's doing all the work in this relationship, beginning, middle, and end. It's his game, his show. He is the active agent and the star of this great story. It's also the only way it'll ever work. Because if I'm responsible for presenting myself without spot or wrinkle or blemish, well, I'm in a lot of trouble, aren't I? See, if it's, if it's on me to present myself as holy before him, like anybody feel like they can make that happen? Like anybody feel like they can pull that off themselves? Because I'll be honest enough, I, I can't. I'm in a ton of trouble if this is on me. Oh, but thanks be to God. He is pleased to clean me up for himself. This is the gospel. But there's also another thing to point out about this little cleansing act. What's the tool in Ephesians 5 that Jesus is using to cleanse his bride? 
What does it say? The water of the word, right? God uses his word to to cleanse us and to change us. He uses it to to turn us into who he wants us to be. That's that's what he's doing here. And so all series long, we've beaten this drum over and over and over again. Read the story for yourself. Read the story for yourself. Listen, it's not because we want you to be good students of the Bible. I, I, I do. I want that to be true. But at the end of the day, it's not because of that at all. It's because we truly, honestly believe that he uses his word to reveal himself to you and to turn you into who he wants you to be. I can't do that. A video on Facebook certainly can't do that. But God's word can. And he uses it powerfully. He uses it effectually. He uses it all the time. So jump into the deep end and read it for yourself. God will use it to reveal who he is. And he'll use it to change you into who he wants you to be. So what's the takeaway? What do we, what do, we do with this? Well, last week... We ask the question, are you a part of the bride? This invitation isn't just generic. It goes out to everyone, but it also goes out to you. Are you a part of the bride? Have you placed your hope and your trust, your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation? That's the only way you get into being a part of the bride. Have you trusted Jesus? And if you have, then today's question is extended to you. Are you being sanctified? Are you being sanctified? Are you being washed in the water of the word and thereby becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus? You can't clean yourself up, but Jesus can. He can clean you up. You can't posture yourself or position yourself in such a way to be pleasing to him, but you can posture yourself and position yourself in such a way that he cleanses you inside and out to be pleasing to him. Are you being sanctified? Are you lovingly preparing yourself for his return? Because guys, the story of God is no small deal. It is the greatest action adventure drama slash chick flick the world will ever know. It is in process from the beginning of creation to the very end of this world. He is redeeming and saving for one solitary reason, and it's that his entire creation will forever see just how good and just how glorious he is. This is the story of God. This is the story of God. So how do we respond to God's word, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, your response is to press into God today. Yeah, even through a Facebook video. God's word is big enough to use that. We don't, we don't use that all the time, but it's big enough to use it today. You do that best by pressing into God's word, though. Chase after him there. Start with the gospels. He's given them to us so that we may know him and so that we may be changed by him. So start there. It's an easy place to start. Probably the easiest place to start. So start there. But maybe you need to repent of something this morning. Maybe that's what you need to do. You got, you got some sin that in your, in your heart, in your actions, in your whatever, that, that is inconsistent with who God is calling you to be. That's inconsistent with the Christ-likeness that he is turning you into. And so as he continues to sanctify you with his word, he's going to continue to bring those things to light. So repent and press in. Repent and press in. And listen, guys, through that over and over and over again, he's going to get you there. He's going to turn you into exactly who he wants you to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. 
If you've made it this far into a Facebook video and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm glad you chose to hang out with us this morning. Listen, you can respond to Jesus too. You do that by meeting the one that this story is all about. You meet Jesus. You repent of your sin. You trust Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. So I'm going to close our time by praying. But listen, if you want to learn more about what that next step is, contact us through this Facebook video, our page, on our website, whatever. We'd love to walk you through what that next step is. But I'm going to pray, and let's all respond to God's word this morning. God, you get to us. Thank you for being a God who saw fit to come himself. You're not, you're not, you were not content to sit on a faraway throne, but instead you came. You were the, the pursuer of our souls. You did not leave this up to proxy. You did not leave this up to some other hero. You are the hero of your story. You are the gallant knight who steps into the story and rescues the one in distress. God, because of my sin, because of my shame, because of my separation from you, I am absolutely in distress. But you have vanquished the enemy. By paying the debt of my sin on the cross, you defeated sin and, and death itself. And you are victorious. So God, for those who know you, will we press in well? For those who don't know you, would you make yourself known to us today? In your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week in person.